You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Our Father, we pray now that you would indeed speak, that you would uh, mold us, shape us, and make us more into the image of Christ. Help us to love you as we ought. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to see you all this evening. I hope if you've been with us now this third week into our three weeks of the Ten Commandments, hearing all of them read each week, we'll begin to groove a bit more into our souls and as they are repeating themselves over and over each week. Uh, if you're a This American Life listener, in April, you heard a episode that they replayed way back from 2007 that was devoted to stories related to the Ten Commandments. While I certainly can't commend to you everything in that episode, the first segment about a young Jewish boy who was named Shalom is fascinating. At the beginning of the year at his new yeshiva, this Hebrew school, uh, a rabbi walked by Shalom's desk and saw his name written at the top of a paper and the rabbi yelled, name of the creator! And he told the boy that he needed to take this paper and put it into a special box in the office. And any time the rabbi saw Shalom's name written on anything, he would have to deposit that test, that assignment, even that lunch bag with his name on it and put it in this box. And then when the box was full, the, the administrators would have to go bury the box outside behind the school. Adjusting to this rabbi took several weeks for young Shalom to finally start writing his name with like an apostrophe at the end of his name and make it Shalom instead of Shalom. 
but why in the world would the rabbi do this? Why would he make him go put anything with this word, shalom, which many of you know is the, the word for peace, uh, in this special box? Well, because shalom is one of God's names. Yahweh shalom, God calls himself in Judges 6. The Lord is your peace. There are 70, over 70 different names or titles that God gives to himself within the Bible uh, in what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, and Jews throughout history have taken God's name very, very seriously. Certainly the name Yahweh, the name that God reveals to Moses in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. But when reading Scripture aloud, when reciting it, Uh, Historically, Jews would replace the name of Yahweh with the word of Adonai, which is the word the Lord, or even the word Hashem, which just means the name. So So whenever they would read something like what we are reading here in the book of Exodus, instead of saying something like, the Lord your God, Yahweh your Elohim, your God, they would say, I am Hashem. They would substitute in their own language. They would substitute, I am the name your Elohim, the name your God. Now, why in the world would they do this? It seems like so puritanical. It seems like ticky-tack legalism. It, off, it maybe even sounds like, like some kind of like mystical Harry Potter type thing, like he who must not be named or something, like even just saying the name of God will invoke some sort of mysterious power within us or something. Well, while some later traditions would likely devolve into some kind of legalistic tradition, the starting point of why they would do this actually comes from a good place. The starting point, among other places, is the third commandment. The third commandment, if you're just reading them in a series or perhaps you're hearing Matt read them to us this evening, uh, the third commandment might seem like it's out of place, out of like the seriousness of the rest of the Ten Commandments. Like, okay, the first and the second commandment, like, don't worship other gods, don't worship idols, check. That sounds like it makes sense. Like, don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery. Yeah, I can see why those are socially good ideas not to do those things. The third commandment, though, upon first glance, it seems like, okay, like, don't say OMG or don't cuss. Okay, like, seriously, like, of of all the weightiest, most important things of the Ten Commandments that God could have chosen and given to us, like this is one of the ten best, the most important for our lives as his people and for our lives together as his community of people. This is the ten, one of the ten best. Well, just as there is a ditch on one side of the road of the third commandment that inevitably leads to legalism and just perhaps even mysticism, I think there is a ditch on the other side of the third commandment where we're just kind of like, yeah, I don't really see the, the relevance. This isn't that big of a deal. This doesn't have that much bearing on my life. Well, guys, if you know, you, if you know me, you know that I am prone to hyperbole. There's a few, yes, I am. Uh, but here's the thing. I think understanding the third commandment rightly might just change your life. Seriously. Uh, walking on the narrow road through both ditches of legalism on the one side to say, I have to keep the Lord's name. Uh, I must not take it in vain. And this, this is the way that uh, I can earn God's favor. 
But then on the other side of not taking the Lord's name in vain has uh, no bearing on my life. Well, walking through that narrowness, the narrow road in between, uh, is the path of joy and is the path of the glory of God. I've been blown away in studying for this third commandment this week. Uh, I've been floored by the Hashem, the name of the Lord. This commandment is much, much, much more than just no OMGs. Uh, So I hope to to understand and to be transformed by this. We'll continue our two-part outline of each commandment in this one of understanding the law and then living the law, and by doing so, our whole hearts will be transformed together. Okay, understanding the law. Now that I've got us all worked up, before we let the third commandment go ahead and just change all of our lives, uh, let's spend a couple minutes together thinking through some more big picture stuff of understanding the law from a 30,000 foot view. Hopefully the slow drip of these short little sections at the beginning of these sermons uh, will get us somewhere more comprehensive by the time that we are finished with the Ten Commandments and certainly finished with the book of Exodus. Uh, So apart from the Ten Commandments, a lot of people tend toward thinking that the law is just kind of a weird relic of ancient, some ancient civilization, some weird collection of rules that clearly have no bearing on my life today. Or even for those of us who have a higher view of the Bible, we know that the law is God's word, and yet we still might think, well, that was for them and then, and there is no personal application for my life today. It's certainly true that there is some them and thenness of the law, And just a fair warning, we may not get into a real deep dive of why it's cool for Christians nowadays to eat pork and wear polyblend t-shirts and stuff. Uh, We aren't picking and choosing which parts of the law that we want to apply today, but we'll get there. But for today, check this out. Do you remember way back many months ago when we were going through the letter of 1 Timothy, uh, where Paul says in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, he says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. There are many, many purposes of the law, good purposes of the law, if we use it lawfully, if we use it for the way in which God has intended it, for our good. But the flip side of that, the implication of that, is that there are many uses of the law that are not for our good. They are not good uses of the law. So it's like as if God hands us a five-gallon tank of gasoline. This can obviously be used for good. How? Well, if it's used for a good purpose. If we fill with this gas tank our weed eaters or our lawnmowers or our cars or anything else with a combustion engine. But here's the problem. Due to our bent and destructive natures, our, our, it's our immediate and it is our natural tendency to receive this five-gallon tank of gas and use it for arson. Not just arson for others, but arson in our own lives. We will take this gallon or this tank of gas, pour it all throughout our house, and then stand, stand back and throw in the match just destroying our own lives with it. And this is our natural tendency. Martin Luther learned this lesson the very hard way. In his early years as a monastic monk, Luther took the law and his own righteousness very, very seriously because he took the Bible very, very seriously. While other monks would come in for a quick and daily confession uh, to a priest of something of covetousness or anger or something, 
Luther would stay in confession every day for hours and hours and hours. After reviewing all of the Ten Commandments, after reviewing the Sermon on the Mount, after reviewing the so-called seven deadly sins, after you name it, uh, after hours and hours and hours, then Luther would even confess the motivations, his own personal motivations, for wanting to confess all of these sins. He wanted uh, to leave no sin left unconfessed because he realized the serious demands of righteousness that God requires in the law. So it was in a place of despair that Luther finds himself when he begins to study the book of Romans. And it was in Romans that he found himself as he thought he was. He finds himself condemned by the law without hope before the law because of his lack of righteousness. He writes this before he began to study Romans. He writes, Though I lived as a monk without reproach, meaning probably no observable sin in his life, I felt that I was a sinner before God with an extremely disturbed conscience. I could not believe that he was placated by my satisfaction. I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And secretly, if not blasphemously, certainly murmuring greatly, I was angry with God. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, and this is from Romans 1, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, as it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And then skipping ahead, uh, here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. There, a totally other face of the entire scripture showed itself to me. Here is what Luther comes to a the gates of heaven opening before him moment. That the law set before him condemned him in unrighteousness. And yet then he realizes that God gives him righteousness through faith. So one function of the law, one of several functions of the law that we'll continue to further consider, but one function of the law is that it acts as a mirror. It comes to Luther and it shows him his unrighteousness and then points him where to go. And then Calvin picks up on this very theme in his institutes and even further helps us in understanding uh, this function as uh, the, the law as a mirror. When you look in your, at your face in the mirror, perhaps you're even walking by a mirror and you look and catch a quick glimpse of your face and you see some dirty smudge or perhaps like some spaghetti sauce on your face. Calvin rightly tells us, you don't use the mirror to clean your face. The mirror exposes our dirty face, but then you don't, you see a bunch of spaghetti sauce, like lean over the, the bathroom sink and like wipe your face on the mirror. That doesn't do anything. The mirror only exposes your dirtiness. What do you need to do? You need to turn on the faucet, grab a towel, go to the place of cleansing. The law can only function to show us our sin. It has no power to cleanse us of sin. Okay, stage set. Let's get to the third commandment. Exodus 20, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The first thing we need to do is think about some specific words in this verse. The first word that we need to consider is the word vain. 
We don't use this word a ton anymore, or certainly in vain in, as 21st century Americans. But it means to use this word, or in vain, uh, just means carelessly, flippantly, even, even meaninglessly. The only way that I can think of how we use vain or in vain today uh, is something like this. Like, I studied for eight hours last night. It turns out that I didn't get an A on the test, but I passed the class, so it turns out that my studying wasn't in vain, right? Or, yeah, the, like the linebacker tore his ACL in the second quarter of the Super Bowl, but they won, so it turns out his injury wasn't in vain, right? Like his injury or the eight hours of studying turned out to not be worthless. They were moving you on towards a greater purpose. They had meaning, and this is a decent start to understanding this word. The second word that we need to understand even more clearly, though, than that is the word take. You shall not take the name of the Lord your vain. I think we tend toward thinking the third commandment is kind of like about grabbing or, or using something that I shouldn't. Like I grab or use the Lord's name in a meaningless way. Like I take your seat on the bus. I shouldn't have done that. Or I take the last piece of pizza. That was selfish. I shouldn't have done that. But in nearly all of this word's Hebrew usages, this word nearly always means to bear or to carry. In fact, it's the exact same word in Exodus 19, verse 4, where God reminds Israel how he bore them out of Egypt on Israel's, or on his wings, on like on eagle's wings. He carried them. He took them out of Egypt as, as, in, or as if on, Egypt, on eagle's wings. He carried them. And so what God is more specifically commanding from his people is they, they don't bear. They don't carry. They don't take along with them the name of Yahweh, the name of God, in a careless or meaningless way. Hopefully you can already see that this command might mean a little bit more than no cussing or no OMGs or something. But before we build, begin to start to build out the house of living the commandment together or living the law, let's do a bit more digging, a bit more foundation pouring on one more very, very important word in this verse, 20, Exodus 20, verse 7. This is a word that appears 900 times within the Bible. Because this word appears so often, it's clearly an important word, but because this word appears so often, the sheer volume of its appearance can often cause it to lose its punch. This word begins to become white noise to us. The word is name, Hashem, the name of the Lord. I'm telling you guys, so many places in the Bible that many of you are very, very familiar with, you've kind of just let this word slip past you. It's lost its importance. It's lost its punch. I know that because this week I've realized how blindly ignorant I have been of the importance of this word, of this theme, Hashem, the name of God. The name of the Lord is almost like a personified stand-in for God himself for his presence on earth. We don't talk about any other people like this. We don't talk about their name. Like our names are important. It's kind of embarrassing when we can't remember somebody's name or we call somebody by the wrong name. It kind of makes us frustrated when someone calls us by the wrong name or they spell our name wrong or something like that. But names are kind of just labels for us. Our name is something that we have, but it's not necessarily something that we are. But a Hebrew understanding of a name expresses a person's 
inner identity. And so God's name is not just a way to address him. Like if all of you were looking down, perhaps beginning to nod off or something, and I said, Chris, like several of you would look up because that's your name. You have been taught, you've been conditioned over the course of your life to respond when you hear that word that goes along with your being. It's a, it's a label, but it is not you. God's name, though, represents not just the identity or label of God, but it represents his entire reputation. So Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is more than just a triumphant Sandy Patty song. God's name, does any, all right, God's name, his identity, his reputation is filling the earth. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Or Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Solomon is not writing in Proverbs 18 that God himself is a strong tower, though he is. Solomon says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Don't ascribe to the Lord the glory due him, though we should, but the glory due to his name, this personified stand-in of his reputation, of his renown, of his fame, of his very identity. Psalm 103, we sing this one, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless him, Yes, but bless his holy name. Or Psalm 113 that Clint read in our call to worship. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. For this time forth and evermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting, wherever there is light on earth, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Now, this is kind of weird, right? Like, it's almost like, it seems like we might be breaking the first or second commandment. We're to bless and honor and worship the glory due to the name of God, apart from the God, of the God whom it belongs to. But this is all so tightly identified. The name of God is God, and yet it is a personified stand-in of God. And we don't talk like that about other people. Like, the, the party's about to begin, and I am really looking forward to Ben Johnson getting here. I am really excited for the name of Ben to fill this house. The, the name of Ben is going to make this party just a wonderful place to be. Now we just say, hey, I'm looking forward to Ben getting here. He's a, he's a lively and interesting fellow, right? Uh, his name isn't doing anything. He's the one doing it. But once you see the importance of the name of the Lord, you can't unsee it. Just on Monday night, we were finishing up dinner and we got out our family devotional book that goes along with the Christchurch Kids curriculum. By the way, do you all know, you parents who have kids in Christchurch Kids, that we have a curriculum book or a devotional book that goes alongside with the lesson that they're learning on Sundays? Uh, you ought to use this. It is so good. Sunday is the very first conversation uh, of that given topic in the book that we are studying. It happens to be Joshua right now, that then has five nights worth of five to ten minute conversations that we can have as families. Anyway, on Monday night, we're reading in Joshua 7 about uh, Israel's defeat at the hands of this rinky-dink little town named Ai. And Joshua, he comes to God, he's confused. He is concerned about this military defeat by this tiny little town. And he says to God, for the Canaanites 
and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? If Ai can beat up Israel in battle, Joshua is saying to God, what's going to happen when the real military threats hear of it? Israel's name, their identity, their reputation, their renown will be spit on and laughed at. And if that happens, what is God going to do for his own name, for his own identity, for his own reputation amongst the nations? So I'm, I'm beginning to read about the name of the Lord on, on Monday and considering this great thing. And then, lo and behold, Monday night, I'm seeing the name of the Lord is super important to the flow of the story of the book of Joshua. The divine name is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God filling the earth with his renown, filling the earth with his identity, with his presence, with his reputation. In fact, that's what Jesus tells us should be one of our most fervent and regular prayers. What does he teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, what does he say? Hallowed, make holy, make your name be praised. Hallowed, make be your name. Not hallow you, make you be praised and holy on earth, but your name be hallowed on earth. Make your name, your identity, your reputation be made holy on earth and praised on earth as it is in heaven. And so here in the third commandment, God tells his people not to bear, not to wear, not to carry that name, the divine name, the thing that is one of the most fundamental markers and pointers of God's character, of his identity, of his reputation, do not bear, carry that name lightly. Do not wear it flippantly or carelessly or meaninglessly. All right, I've just got practical application like ready to boil out of my ears. So let's just jump straight into living the law. First of all, I, I certainly don't want this sermon to be like something like, Okay, you thought, you thought, American evangelical Christian, you thought that the third commandment was all about OMGs. But here is, uh, this is like a, a BuzzFeed sermon, like 15 reasons why the Bible's not what you think it is, or 15 reasons why all the Disney heroes are actually the villains or something. 15 reasons why taking the Lord's name has nothing to do with what you say. But clearly, it's possible to take or bear, or carry in a vain way the name of the Lord in our speech. In Leviticus 24, we've got a pretty shocking story where these two guys are having an argument, a fight. And one of the guys, a guy who is half Egyptian, he blasphemes or he curses God. Many people hear this from his mouth. We don't know what he said, but it seems intentional and it seems brazen. The shocking part to our modern ears is that in obeying the law which is to come, the, the man is taken outside of the camp and he is stoned to death. Now there is much more to consider in how weird and almost terrible that sounds to our modern ears and why we aren't uh, taking someone out to stone them if we ever hear them uh, use the, the Lord's name in vain. But for now, it would do us well to recognize the seriousness with which God takes the spoken use of his name. Elsewhere in Leviticus 9, Hosea 10, Israel is forbidden from making false oaths, from, uh, for making promises using God's name as some sort of a mask 
for an empty promise behind it. So there are some pretty decent lines that we can draw from the third commandment into our own lives, which show us that we ought to be very careful and deliberate with our speech. What we say reveals about what we believe. And there is a real flow to the order of the Ten Commandments. How we speak about God publicly or even how we mutter his name under our breath flippantly or with casual OMGs or with casual I swear to gods or even more uh, deliberate GDs might just reveal how flippantly or casually you consider God's existence or importance to be in your own life, as we thought through in the last two weeks. Kevin DeYoung rightly says, when I hear Christians habitually rattle off, oh my God, for everything from a home run to a great parking spot, I can't help but wonder if they've not been well taught or if they don't know what God is really like. God has created us for his own name, for his own name's sake. And so for the sake of his name, even in our under our breath mutterances, even in our unspoken but thought or spoken thoughts in our heads that don't even make their way to our lips, we ought to take Paul's words from Colossians 3 very seriously, where he says, and whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Even in our casual mutterances, in every part of our life, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Not casually, not flippantly, not meaninglessly. But as you probably figured, the third commandment is much, much more than OMGs. And yet, there are still so many other ways that we can carry or bear the Lord's name in other meaningless or flippant ways with our speech. Ways that don't bring honor to God. We should all want to be thankful to God and everything that happens in our lives and very small and uh, seemingly insignificant blessings. But uh, a thank you, Jesus, when a cloud covers the sun for a moment of shade, uh, that could be an actual moment of thankfulness to the Lord. Oftentimes, I think it is a casual or meaningless or even an attempt at humor uh, in a way that just does not uh, bring honor in deliberate speech to the Lord. Even a prayer before a meal that is just a rote American ritual that we do before we eat could be breaking the third commandment. A Yale law professor commenting on American political life wrote this. He says, in truth, there's probably no country in the Western world where people use God's name quite as much or quite as publicly or for quite as many purposes as we Americans do. Few candidates for office are able to end their speeches without asking God to bless their audience or the nation or the great work we are undertaking. Athletes thank God, often on television after scoring the winning touchdown, because like politicians, they like to think God is on their side. Everybody who wants to change America and everybody who wants not to understands the nation's love affair with God's name, which is why everybody invokes it. Now, I'm not trying to throw people under the bus who may or may not be Christians, nor am I trying to make us into judgmental cynics every time we see a politician or an athlete or a musician invoke the name of God. 
I guess what I'm trying to say, though, is that politicians know what they're doing. Saying, God bless you and God bless America likely has very, very little to do with the glory of Yahweh filling the earth. It has very little to do with God's name growing in fame and renown, his name being hallowed, and likely has very much more to do with communicating God's stamp of approval over their own party or over their own political platform, or trying to reassure you that God is behind your vote. This is surely vanity. It is surely meaningless, and it surely breaks the third commandment. We do the same, though, when we put the name of God as a stamp of approval over our own actions and over our own counsel that we may give to others. Like, God told me this, or God told me that, or God wanted me to tell you this. Certainly, the Spirit can lead and guide in whatever way He wishes, but it perhaps might be a place of better humility for me to say something like, I'm not sure what to make of this, but I feel like God is wanting me to quit my job and move into this other industry. I'm not sure what to make of this, but I feel like God wants me to tell you this, that you need to hear this word. Especially since what I'm going to tell you or what I'm feeling doesn't cause me to, or you, to violate what he has spoken more clearly in his word to us, the Bible. But how many young folks in high school or in college right now are still reeling from a breakup at the end of summer because God told the boyfriend or girlfriend to break up with them? Uh, Like some spiritual stamp of approval over some difficult decision to make. Like that Babylon Bee article of the college sophomore who just lost his third girlfriend this year to Jesus. Though, though many, through many tears, the girl confirmed that Jesus had been telling her through the Holy Spirit in her quiet times to let go of this guy in order to focus on her relationship with Jesus. Uh, just have the guts to say, I don't really like you, or this isn't going anywhere. Stamping God's name onto this is more than likely just trying to add some religious uh, validity and break the third commandment in doing so. Now, we could go on and on and on about how we speak the Lord's name in a vain or a meaningless way, but our speech is just barely scratching the surface. What God is getting after here is his covenant people who are living in and amongst the nations who do not know God. God is getting after his covenant people bearing the name, wearing, taking carrying the name of God, the identity, the reputation, the renown of God wherever they go, not in a vain and meaningless way, but in a serious, deliberate, and honor-to-the-Lord-bringing way. Of course, our speech is one of the most visible and public ways we do this with our unbelieving friends and neighbors, even our typed speech. Perhaps think about that. But Yahweh is confronting Israel to consider the name that they are putting on like a t-shirt and then wearing it well, with seriousness. If you've ever traveled abroad, you perhaps know what I'm talking about. Like, you are walking through the streets of Paris or something, and you're like, oh, yep, that guy's an American. How, (laughs) How do you know? Maybe the way he's dressed, more likely how loud he is, right? Where's the McDonald's? Or that gal over there is clearly an American because of how arrogant and demanding she is. 
Like the people, just like the, the people in France are like, can you get a load of this guy? Like, I hate America. <laughs> this, Americans are the worst. I can't stand America. And this is the heart of the third commandment. When you are, when you are visiting or living long-term in France or in Thailand or in Mexico, is the name of America growing in its reputation? Is the reputation of your people, is the name of the country which you represent growing in its fame, its honor, its reputation? Our home nation is no longer Egypt, not Canaan, and is not the United States of America. We belong to a different kingdom, and God has given us his name to wear like a t-shirt. The t-shirt of the name of our home nation, of our God, and we wear it. Not a silly and honestly perhaps breaking the third commandment kind of t-shirt like a breadcrumb and fish or like this blood's for you or something like that. That's silly. But God puts his name onto his people to wear in a very public way. And not just not to misuse, but he gives his name to his people to use in a very proper way. The flip side of the coin of nearly all of these thou shalt nots of the Ten Commandments, the flip side of that is a thou shalt. Thou shalt not just not murder, but love. Thou shalt not just not tell the truth, but speak with truthfulness. Thou shalt not just not take the name of the Lord in vain, but use it, carry it, bear it in seriousness and with honor. So that whatever you do, in word or do, that you do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's the problem. None of us, in word or in deed, do everything in thankfulness to the Lord Jesus and in glory to the name of the Father. We are perpetual third commandment breakers. We are perpetual vain name takers. We bear the name poorly. We have raised the mirror to our faces and to some degree or other not seen what we like or not like what we are seeing. Not seeing something that is beautiful but seeing something that is smudged and dirty. Our anger or our outbursts do not speak clearly to our roommates, to our spouses, to our children, to our neighbors. Our laziness and our corner cutting do not speak clearly to our coworkers or to our classmates or to our teachers or to our managers. Our jokes and our speech do not look altogether different than that of the nations around us. Our lack of speech at all about God because of our fear and timidity do not speak the name of the Lord with clarity. We bear the name poorly and in meaningless vanity. Our lives are almost like, yep, the linebacker tore his ACL in the second quarter, and then they lost badly. His injury was meaningless and didn't accomplish anything. It sure looks like we are without hope. Because, even more than all of that, this third commandment doesn't just show us some weakness in our lives. The third commandment carries curse with it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. 
it sure shows us now and looks like that we are not only helpless, but we are hopeless. We have none of us borne the name of the Lord in complete honor. We are cursed. And here's where Calvin helps. Do not try to use the mirror to clean your face. Do not try to now suddenly get serious about deliberate speech to make sure that people think good and well about God's name and honor as the first place to start. If we're not careful, we will turn ourselves into behavior police and speech police, both in our own lives and in the lives of others. Name of the Creator! Just constantly correcting our own intentions and behaviors and those in others as well. But this is not the gospel. God desires so much more for us than just clean mouths. He desires clean hearts. So turn on the faucet and be clean. Go to the river of life which cleanses and transforms. In in John 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying to the Father and he says, he says this, listen, listen now with new ears. I have manifested your name to the people. Jesus is not saying that the people have been worshiping God by the wrong combination of letters. Now he has shown to the people that God's name is actually J-E-S-U-S. Now, thank you God that that's happened. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, thank you that the reputation, the honor, the identity of God has been shown to the people. Do you want to know Do you want to see clearly the divine name? Do you want to see the reputation and renown of the triune divine Yahweh? Look to Jesus, the one who bore and wears and carries the name in perfect righteousness and joy. He says in John 17, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus shows the holy and the kind and the righteous character of the triune God through his bearing of the name. Wearing the name out of love for the Father and out of love for his people, then in his name bearing, then he keeps us. Then he transforms us. He keeps us in his love, and he keeps us within the name, within the very identity of God. Later, he'll tell his disciples to be baptized into what? Into the name of the Father, and the name of the Son, and of the name of the Holy Spirit. He tells us to pray, not in our own name, not in our own ability to bear the name well. No, we are to pray all things confidently in the name of Jesus, who bore the name in his life, who bore the name in his death, who bore the name in his resurrection. And that because of all of this, then Paul would later say in Philippians 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He receives the name of Lord in his life, death, and resurrection. It is now clear to all that his name is Yahweh. 
he is God, and that because of his character, because of his name, because of his life and death to make strangers into his people, to make enemies into his friends, to make orphans into very sons and daughters, he might one day then make all things right, make all things new, where in which we will finally and fully bear the name of God like Jesus because of Jesus. If I haven't convinced you yet that this theme of the divine name is super important to the whole narrative of the Bible, consider where all of this is headed. The last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, the Apostle John sees a vision where he says, and he sees, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There's a day coming where there is no curse for those who have not borne the name in honor. But there is a place coming for those of us who are trusting in the work of Jesus to bear the name on our behalf, that on that day, we're not going to then suddenly have like flaming letters of Greek or Hebrew, like burning out of our foreheads or something. But we will bear the name so clearly and permanently that it is now part of us where it will be the name of God, not just a label for us, but it will be our permanent identity. Oh God, may it be so. May that be so. Where the work of Christ is what actually is able to allow us to bear the name perfectly and permanently by his grace and kindness. Let's ask him that it would be so. Our Father, we love you. We want your name to be revered and honored and worshipped. We want that to be true in our own hearts. Shine your light. Pour out your glory in our own hearts that you might be pushing out our vain uses of your name, our vain and meaningless uh, mutterances of your name, our vain and meaningless actions that do not bring honor to you, Pour out and shove out all things that are in vain. Father, help us. Help us to love you more. Help us to have no other gods before you. Help us to not worship other images of gods that we have carved in our own imaginations. But help us to see you. Help us to love you. And help us to honor you as we go. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.